Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed. Let's turn to Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5. I've entitled a message, Against All Odds. Against All Odds. We're going to talk about faith this morning, and as well as tonight, if the Lord would continue to lead in that direction for the evening service. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Let's look there tonight. Everybody kind of needs to move into the middle because everybody that forgot to set their clocks ahead is about to come in the door, all right? Let them sit on the outside. And uh, you ever done that? You ever been embarrassed? You showed up an hour late and went, oh my goodness, the church is already going, preaching's already started. It happens. Mark chapter 5. Some, some look at their clock and they just give up. They just go back to bed. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Well, my wife is in Ohio and it's March break at the school and uh, she decided she wouldn't wait on me. She's going to see her grandson, so... Uh, I'm going to join them down there tomorrow and, and have some time with, uh, with Emily and Matthew and Theo. And so pray as we travel a little bit. We'll be back later this week, but uh, looking forward to seeing them. And we haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen them since Christmas. So it's, uh, you know, when you're just a little guy, you grow a lot in just a few months. So he's already saying grandpa and stuff like that. So, you know, Mark chapter, he isn't really. I'm just kidding. I wish he was. I tell my wife I keep hearing it every time he's on the phone with us. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Emily, uh, Emily will tune in to our live stream at the evening service. They have a morning service, and they have a two-hour break, and they have a two o'clock service. That's how they have church there. And uh, so she'll tune into our evening service, and she says, Theo gets to see Grandpa before he goes to bed. And last week, it was Cody. And she says, he knew it. He looked, and he went, hmm. Emily said, wrong baldy. That's what she said. <laughs> Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and I know you lost an hour of sleep, but I promise you, you'll probably make it up this afternoon. I, I know how that works. Mark chapter 5, and the uh, Lord is good. I've enjoyed the worship this morning. It spoke to my heart and helped me, and I hope that it, and pray that it helped you as well. And uh, I just wanted to say something about uh, Caleb and Eden. And uh, these are little ones, uh, seven and eight years old. And, and you say, how, how, how do they understand? I'll tell you how they understand salvation. Because mom and dad spend every single night in the Bible with them. Isn't that right? Family devotions every single day. And because of it, you know, we have a lot of kids who come to Sunday school to make a profession of faith 14 times. Yeah. Right? Because they're here an hour a week and they go home and Satan steals that seed. And they, they don't realize, and they don't understand, and they don't get it. But when parents will take the time to just continuously teach about Jesus died for our sins, he paid the price, we're all sinners, we all have a penalty to pay, but Jesus took that penalty. And they just kept reinforcing and reinforcing and teaching and teaching and teaching. And now those little ones can tell you the gospel. And that's a good thing. And so uh, I just encourage you as parents, uh, just keep, keep reading, keep praying with them, keep teaching them. Uh, because it's an important thing. And uh, listen, you, you don't want to see uh, your young people go through some... Uh, one, one of the scariest things in the world, one of the scariest things in the world is wondering if your children are saved. Wouldn't you agree? Some of you have adult children out in the world now, and it breaks your heart, and you wonder, what happens if the Lord came today? What happens if something happened to them? And so let me encourage you, just instill it while they're young. Just keep teaching them and teaching them and teaching them. And prayerfully, that teaching will turn to training. In other words, they'll receive it. 
and uh, apply it to their hearts and lives and trust Jesus as Savior. Mark chapter 5, look if you will in verse 21, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I preached this passage a couple years ago about the woman with the issue of blood. And this is right in the middle of this story. I called it an inconvenient plague. You'll remember that the Lord uh, was speaking with a fellow by the name of Jairus. We're going to look at Jairus this morning. And Jairus came to the Lord and, and he was beseeching him or begging him on behalf of his 12-year-old daughter who lie sick unto death. She was about to die. And as the Lord was making his way to Jairus' home, he was interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. You'll remember she touched the hem of his garment and, and she was made whole. And the Lord stopped and took care of this woman for a moment. And in the meantime, Jairus' daughter died. We're going to read about that this morning, but aren't you glad that when, I, I, I like saying this, I don't know why I like saying it, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to. Just think about that. Jesus ruined every funeral that he went to. In other words, nobody was dead after he went to the funeral. And that, that's a wonderful thing. And Jesus went to the home of Jairus and found that daughter lying there and raised her from the dead. That's the whole message this morning. If you want to go now, you can and catch up on that hour. But I want to, I want to assure you of a couple things this morning about faith. Uh, and we see in the life of Jairus an example of faith that was steadfast. It could not be deterred even in death. And so let's look this morning at the Word of God. Mark chapter 5 and read with me. In verse 21, we're going to skip a section about the woman with the issue of blood. I just kind of shared that with you so that you might uh, understand the passage. Verse 21, and when Jesus was passed over again by a ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. You know what has struck me since I've been studying the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, synoptic gospels is how many times... We see rulers of the synagogue coming to Christ. That's been wonderful to see over and over again Pharisees and Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was a, a ruler of the synagogue. The Bible talks about the rich young ruler who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we see over and over again, we know uh, Kai, or, sorry, Ananias and we know others that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see it throughout the scripture. Joseph of Arimathea was another ruler of the synagogue. It's wonderful to see that how Jesus can, can break through the darkness of the bondage of an old dead religion and breathe light into it because he is Jesus. He is the son of God. And that's what we desperately need today. And I'm thankful for religion in the sense that it gives us structure and it allows us to repeat over and over again this wonderful Sunday that we can worship God together. Religion's not a bad thing, but religion won't save you. We need Jesus Christ to breathe life into it. There are so many in churches across our country today that are just practicing religion and they do not have Jesus. They are the Laodicean church, Jesus on the outside begging to get in. We desperately need Jesus. And Jairus is a great reminder that anybody can be saved. And the Bible says in verse 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands upon her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. 
And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Verse 25, we see the woman with the issue of blood, a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And you know the story how she touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Then the Bible says, if you'll jump down to verse 34, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and behold thy plague. He's still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood. Now, verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to Follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. But they laughed him to scorn. When he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of damsel, and they were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Telethi kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for he was of the age, or she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. I commanded that something should be given her to eat. Our Heavenly Father, for the next few moments, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, with the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. There are times in our lives where we feel like there are situations that are against all odds. But we know the God of all creation. We know the one who calmed the sea and the one who walked upon the water and the one who continuously went against the odds. To bring us salvation. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that, that faith is believing what we cannot see and knowing that God is able despite the circumstances. So, speak to our hearts and strengthen us, Lord. I need your help desperately. And I pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jairus was a man of unusual faith. I say unusual because he was. Relatively new to Christianity, wasn't he? The Bible teaches that he was a ruler of the synagogue, so he was well-versed in the things of the Old Testament. He understood the law and the Pentateuch, and he understood uh, the, the, the Septuagint and all the different things. He understood the prophets and the preaching of the prophets. He understood the history of Israel, and he understood the feasts. But it seems like he understood a little bit more than others. Because he trusted in Jesus. The Bible doesn't plainly say that he had trusted Christ as his Savior. But I want you to notice this morning some key things from the scriptures that we noticed that I believe he was a man of faith. That he had put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he believed wholeheartedly that he was the one that the Old Testament spoke of. He was the Messiah that was promised. He was the Lord's Christ. Come in power and glory. And we see a great Uh, an an example of faith in his life this morning, even though others would mock and scorn. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's just, let's just hold on to that thought for a moment. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Do you have dreams? Do you hope for things? Do you dream about things? Faith says that makes those dreams substance. Something we actually hold in our hands. We actually believe it'll come to pass. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, if we were to read on through the rest of the chapter, we read about the, the faith of our fathers, if you will. Amen. And the Bible says they all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They believed they were true. And they were substance in their hands. It was something they believed would come to pass. It was not a, a, a fairy tale or a fantasy in that sense. But they knew that because God said it, I'm going to believe it. That's it. And it was substance to them. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now to an unbelieving world, it may not seem much like evidence. They say, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe that he rose from the grave? And for us, the evidence is simple. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I like there's an old gospel song that says, don't try to tell me that God is dead. I just talked to him this morning. I mean, it's just that simple childlike faith where the spirit of God bears witness with our soul that we are his children. What a wonderful testimony. That doesn't seem like evidence to the world. But for the believer that is indwelled by the very spirit of God, we know that he is present in our lives. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know what Jairus had witnessed. I don't know what he had seen. I don't know if he had evidence that Jesus could actually raise somebody from the dead or not. I don't know if he believed that he could actually heal his daughter while she was still alive. If he'd ever seen that happen. But this I know, he believed. He had faith. I want you to notice what his faith did for him. Turn to Mark chapter 5. If you're already there, that's fine. Mark chapter 5. We notice, first of all, he had a settled faith. A settled faith. I want to demonstrate that from the scripture. You know, there is so much turmoil in our world today that as children of God, one thing our faith should do is settle us. Bring peace to our lives. A quiet calm knowing that God is in control. I look back as a child and I think, you know, I, I didn't really worry about a whole lot when I was a kid. Because my parents took care of it. I never, I never thought about having a roof over my head or food on the table or anything. I, I didn't have any concerns in this world because that was somebody else's responsibility. We worry about so many things that God has in his hands, that God is in control of. And J. Iris understood that if I just have faith in Jesus, I can, I can be settled. I can have calm and I can have peace and I can understand that God is in control. And so we notice, first of all, in Mark chapter 5, look at verse 35, an important verse here. We see that he had a faith to rely on, a faith to rely on. Look what it says in verse 35, some key words. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master any further? He said, I don't see it. Where is this faith that he is relying on? Can I show you something this morning? Notice what this servant from the, synagogue, from the, the, the ruler of the synagogue's house said. Do you notice what he said? 
Why troublest thou the master? Where did he learn that? Why did he call Jesus master? Capital M. Because Jairus had a faith that he taught to his family. It was echoed in their house that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He, he was the master. In Jairus' house, you didn't use the name Jesus as a cuss word. There was a reverence and a respect. I'm just trying to establish this morning and show you something that I believe Jairus already had faith in Jesus Christ before he ever came on this day. This was not a last-ditch effort to save his daughter. This was not somebody knocking on his door and saying, Jairus, have you heard about Jesus? Maybe you ought to give that a try. All the doctors have failed, and, and any medicine you've given her has not worked, and all the natural remedies you've employed, they have, they have just fallen by the wayside. But why don't you go try Jesus? What do you have to lose? No, the Bible says that he had taught those in his house this is the master this is the one we can trust a ruler of the synagogue would not use that word easily for him to humble himself under Jesus Christ was a difficult thing as a matter of fact, if he were to go to the synagogue and to open up the word of God and preach from Isaiah like Jesus read and say, listen, I want to tell you about something about this prophecy about the, the, the brokenhearted being healed and the captive being free. I want to tell you something about that scripture. This fellow is named Jesus and he's among us today and he is our master. They might have even stoned him for blasphemy. And so for Jairus to humble himself to the point or even his household called him master. It speaks of a deep abiding faith as he came to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew even records in Matthew, or Mark chapter 5, it says he fell before him. Matthew records it this way, Jairus came, he worshipped him. That would have been idolatry to the Jews. But he worshipped Jesus because he believed he was God. Notice in verse 23, the Bible says, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. There was no question what he could do. His faith was such that, Lord Jesus, if you just come and lay your hands on her, she'll be healed. He didn't hum and haw. He didn't come to Jesus and say, well, I, I think you have the ability. I've, I've heard some stories, and I, I've heard that you've helped some other people. And Maybe if you come, and maybe if you pray with her, we know you're sent from God. Maybe if you just pray over her or do something like that, maybe she'll have some hope of recovery. He says, no, Lord, if you come, she shall be healed. He had a faith that he could rely on. You know, when I was 30 years old, when I was 30 years old, my wife and I were expecting Bethany. And we had three kids already, and we were expecting a fourth. And I had a, an insurance policy, but it wasn't very much. I mean, my parents bought it when I was born. And I mean, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. You could hardly pay for a funeral today with what it was. And, and so I thought, you know what, maybe we better think about life insurance. we got all these kids, and we better take care of our family. And so we, we went... We had somebody in the church that worked with a primaric agent, and we, we brought them in, and we, we got life insurance. And uh, for 20 years, we had life insurance, and guess what? I turned 50, and that thing expired. And so I had to renew. Do you know it's a lot more expensive when you're 50 than when you're 30? Do you know that? 
Good night. I could have paid for two funerals by now. But instead, but for, for 20 years, let me say this, for 20 years, I had no idea where those policies were. I had no clue. I guess I was just expecting, if anybody dies in this family, it's going to be me before my wife. So I didn't even concern myself with it. I didn't worry about it. My wife had it put away somewhere, and I, I didn't even know where they were. As a matter of fact, when I got the letter from, from Prime America saying that our cancellation was coming up, that we had expired the 20 years, we could renew, and here's what the... And I went, are you kidding me? I'm buying a new car before I pay all that each month. It was incredible. And, and so they gave us this notice, and I said, "Hun, where's that policy? And she knew right where it was. And she went and got it. And can I say this? Some of y'all treat faith like I treat that insurance policy. We only go find it when we think we need it. If something had happened, I'd, I guarantee I would have found it. She had a $250,000 policy for 20 years. I'd have found it. You, you don't misplace that. And even though for 20 years I had no clue where it was, I would have found it. I guarantee it. But sometimes we treat faith like that. And when we begin to struggle and sickness comes along, we're, we're facing death, all of a sudden we cry out to the Lord. Jairus had a faith he could fall back on. He had a faith that he could rely on. And when a dark trial came into his life, everybody in his house knew who the master was. And so he went to Jesus. His faith settled him. He had a faith to rely on, but he also had a faith to rest upon. Look at what it says in verse 36. In verse 36, it says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Isn't it good to know that when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can rest in him? Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think there's something a little bit more solid when Jesus says, don't be afraid. I got this. And Jairus, the Bible says, never says he complains. He doesn't break down in tears uncontrollably. I'm going to be honest, you lose a 12-year-old daughter. That, that's a tough day. That is heartbreaking. Jairus followed in quiet faith with Jesus back to his home. And he was comforted in the thought that Jesus is in control. Listen, if faith, faith just let me say, faith does so much more than save you. For by grace are you saved through faith. We have to trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. But faith can also settle you. Faith will bring a peace to your life. Faith is something you can rely on and it's something you can rest upon. Look, if you will, in John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15. I want you to notice some scripture here. The Bible says, I am the true vine and my father is the husband. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it bring, bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Listen to this. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. 
If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, listen to this verse, if ye abide in me, I'm in verse 7, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That's the very definition of faith. Abiding in Christ and allowing his words to abide in you, and we can pray in the will of God, and God will answer. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. That's why God answers our prayers. Not that we might consume it upon our own lusts, but that his Father is glorified. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to this. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. You know what faith does? It brings a settled calmness to our lives. Peace. And the Bible says joy. The joy of Jesus Christ fulfilled in you. I want you to turn back to Mark chapter 5 and notice the second thing. We see, first of all, he had a settled faith, but I want you to notice, secondly, he had a stretched faith. Has your faith ever been stretched? You ever, you ever just wondered, God, is, what's going on here? God, I just, I'm struggling to understand. I don't think it's wrong to ask God questions. I don't think it's wrong if it's a sincere heart. God knows your heart anyway. Because when we go to him, he answers. And he brings peace and he strengthens us and he helps us and he comforts us. But notice the stretch faith in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. I've already read the verse. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of synagogues a house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. That'll stretch your faith. Things went from bad to worse. One moment she lieth at the point of death, but now she's gone. At one moment when he left the home, I, I wonder if he was even reluctant to leave. There's his little daughter laying in a bed so sick that they believe she's going to die. And dad says, I got to go. That'd be a hard, hard decision to make. Do I stay and hold her hand? Do I comfort her? Do I bathe her brow? Do I tell her I love her one last time? Do I catch her last words? Or do I go and seek help at Jesus' feet? He chose to go. Things went from bad to worse. At one moment she's at the point of death and now she has died. At one moment, there's the slimmest amount of hope, and now it is gone. The light has been extinguished. His faith has been stretched. I know that there have been trials and tribulations in many lives in this room. And it's at those moments that our hearts wonder. And in any of those times when Satan attacks too, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I've, I've watched those videos where those lions take out the gazelle. They always take out the one that's hurting, the one that's lame, the one that's weak, the one that's separated from the herd. And when we're all alone, devil attacks. When we're hurting, he attacks. He kicks us while we're down. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I want you to notice something this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1.
First Peter chapter 1, I want you to notice in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are saved by faith, verse 5. Verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. He says, you're rejoicing right now for a season, but if need be, manifold temptations will come. There's a time for trials. There's a time for temptation. The Bible says this, offenses must come. There are things that are going to attack us and hurt us in this life. But look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. There's faith again, isn't it? In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, And full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Though this man's faith was stretched, I believe Peter lays out for us what he might have learned from Jairus. That a faith that is tested and tried is one that can come through purified. And we notice, first of all, the testimony of faith. In verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about incorruptible inheritance, which I believe is the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about hope that we can have because of the resurrection of Christ. That's the testimony of our faith. But I want you to know to secondly the trial of our faith notice what he says in verse 6 wherein you greatly rejoice thou know for a season it need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations I want you to know this the trial of your faith first of all are certain it is certain anytime we read about trials in the Bible they're just assumed yea they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's going to be trials. There's disease. There's sickness. There's death. And it affects every age. There's financial woes. There's companies going bankrupt. My wife was just in a store in Brantford the other day, and she found out, she says, all the stores in Canada are closing. And the girls were saying they're all losing their jobs. That's just life. I don't mean to make light of it, but where would we be if we didn't trust in Jesus? So trials are certain, but trials are also cleansing. Notice what he says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's, He's making an illustration here about the purifying of gold. How it is tried by fire and it burns off the dross. And that's what trials do in our lives. They draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and they cleanse us that we might be found to the praise of his glory at his appearing. And that's what it's about. 
And then we see that they are also creating something in you. Notice what he says in verse 8. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't it good to know that in the face of temptation and trial, we can have joy. You may not be happy about everything, but you can have joy. You you may go to a funeral and, and still have joy in your heart because you know that that believer is in the presence of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're not happy that they're gone. But you can sing the hymn of heaven. With a great joy, I had people say to me this week, Pastor, I had tears coming down my face thinking about those words, how one day we'll stand with the saints of old and we'll sing glory to our God. That day is coming. There will be a day. And what a day that will be. Our faith is creating, those trials are creating something in us. What did Paul have to say about it? Well, I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can turn there if you like. He says something almost identical to Peter. Different words completely, but the theme is the same. In verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen to this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. He's saying, we've got trials. We've been tested. We're persecuted, but we're not going to be distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not going to allow it to bring us to despair. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. We have been persecuted, but we are not forsaken. Always bearing about the body, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also uh, us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Notice, notice how he starts. He says, there's trials in life, but my faith doesn't allow me to be distressed. It doesn't allow me to think I'm forsaken. This faith that I have in Jesus allows me to live joyfully amidst the circumstances. But notice what it's also creating in his life. He says, we know that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. Listen, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, he's saying all these things in this world. Think about what Paul went through. He was stoned. He was left beaten and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And he says, though the outward man perish, the inward man's renewed. I'm fine. I'm doing well inside. My faith, Lord, has given me joy. Notice what he says in verse 17. All these things are but our light affliction which is but for a moment, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen. There's faith again, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The question is, what are you trusting in? Are you looking to this world for your hope? Looking to Ottawa? 
You can see, you can see that. Sometimes we have a problem in our home. We think, well, I'll just go Canadian Tire and I'll get something, I'll fix it. Our hope is in material things in that sense, and that's okay. We, we, God has given us those abilities and provided those things for us to fix. But on a spiritual level, why are we looking anywhere but God? Why are we looking to those things that we can see? I have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm looking forward to a place that God has gone to prepare for me. I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. I've never seen it. I came close once. It scared me to death. A fellow stopped breathing, and I I went and got the nurse. I said, Mr. Holdsworth has passed away. And they said, okay. We came in, and his wife was there, and we were talking, and we were praying. And and five minutes later, he started breathing again. Just, they said, oh, that happens sometimes. I went, oh, my goodness. My heart can't handle that. Just muscles. They said his mind is gone. They said just the muscles just don't know to stop. It'll take a while. But I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. I don't have any substance of that. But I believe that if I were to die before the Lord comes, I will rise. Abraham believed it. He believed that even if Isaac died, that God was able to raise him from the dead. Do you have that kind of faith? His faith was shaken because of the trials and the troubles. But I want you to notice thirdly, and and I'm done. I'm going to move quickly now. He had a steadfast faith. A steadfast faith. Even death did not take away Jairus' hope. Following the reassurance of Jesus' words, be not afraid, only believe, Jairus decided to trust what Jesus was doing. He took Jesus to his home and he watched him work. Turn back to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to try to finish this up real quick because we have a couple of young people waiting to get baptized. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 40. I was listening to Callie sing this morning and I thought, well, isn't this something how the Lord puts things together? I, picked, I put that song on the schedule a couple months ago. But she used these very words, they laughed him to scorn in that song, the Lamb of God. And notice it says in verse 40, and they laughed him to scorn. Why? Because Jesus said in the verse before, and when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. I want you to notice something. This is where I want to be, and this is where you want to be. The Bible says they came back to that house. I don't know how many people were there. When somebody died in Israel, they would bring out mourners. People from town would come, especially a ruler of the synagogue that had a 12-year-old daughter. That'd be a big funeral. And they would bury you within hours. There was, there was no preservatives, there was no formaldehyde or anything, and so they did not prep the body. They would, they would bury that body in just hours. They put some ointments and things on for the, to, to help in the mourning process, but that was it. Just in a matter of hours, they would bury that body. The Bible says people were weeping and making an ado. And the Bible says Jesus put them all out. All of them. But Who? 
Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John. Do you know why Peter and Jairus and his wife got to stay? Because they weren't mocking. They weren't laughing him to scorn. So how do you know that? Because everybody laughed him to scorn and says he put them all out. And I believe the Bible. Everybody that laughed got asked to leave. And guess what? They missed the work of God. They missed the work of God. It'd be be pretty exciting to see that young girl walk out of that house or playing in the street the next day. That'd be pretty cool. But how many of you would rather be in the room when Jesus said, damsel, rise. Hey, mom, get her something to eat. She hasn't eaten in days. Where do you want to be? I want to be right where Jesus is working. Those that mocked and laughed missed it. But those who trusted quietly got to see Jesus work. That's where I want to be. Do you have that kind of faith? The Bible says that Jesus, in his trials, visited the place of Nazareth, his childhood home. Because of the lack of faith of the people, the scripture records this, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I never want to be one that laughs and scorns. Now, there, there are some people that will say, well, I believe that God is going to... Listen, if you can't back it up with Scripture, I, I, may, I may laugh about that. I, I may not believe that. I may not trust in that. I don't believe in extra-biblical revelation. I don't believe that God's, God's going to do something in you that he hasn't already done in the Bible. That he, Listen, God has already given us his word. I believe that. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 that if we add to this, he'll add to us the plagues of this book. So I just trust that and I believe that. But if you're acting in faith on God's word and God has given you a promise and you say, I just just believe that God's going to save a soul because God is not willing that any should perish. And you say, no, that old drunkard, God will never save him. Listen, if you're acting in faith and saying, I believe that God is not even willing that he should perish, that God loved the whole world that he sent his son. If you are believing with that kind of faith, I never want to be the one that mocks you to scorn because I'm afraid I'd miss the work of God. What about you? Do you want to be in that position? In Mark 5, there was one who believed even when his daughter, just a 12-year-old girl, had died. And even though the world is mocking, we still know that God is faithful. And he is able. Even in death, there is hope. Let me read that passage about Abraham, and I'm done. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offering up Isaac... And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Do you believe God is able? Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever miss out when God's about to work. Let's pray. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts about our faith. Strengthen us, Lord. There's something settling about trusting in Jesus. Help us to learn that. Help us have a steadfast faith. Help us to have a stretched faith, Lord. We know it's going to be tried and tested, but I pray, Lord, that it would never break. It would only stretch. We might remember that your grace is sufficient to supply for all of our ever need, that the promises of the book are sure, 
that we have a faithful God. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And Pastor Paul is going to come and lead an invitation this morning as we prepare for baptism. Pastor, if you would come. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. You come even now.